everyone, and greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would love to welcome you to another Church at Home service. I believe that you are well and you are still kept in the grace of the Lord. This week, I would just love to encourage you about the love of the Lord. When we read in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18 to 19, which says, May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. The word of God encourages us that we should know and understand how high and how big the love of God for us is. God said to Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. When we know that we are the beloved of the Lord, it helps us to walk with our heads held up high, even in these challenging times. This week, we are going to be partaking in the Lord's Supper. Pastor Mondi will be leading us into the Lord's Supper. And Brother Shaka will be leading us into the offering message. Straight after the Lord's Supper, we are going to go into the word of the Lord. May you be blessed as you receive straight from above. Good day. This morning I'd like to read from Genesis 8 verse 22. And it reads as follows. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. The Bible in this verse promises us that there are certain things that will always take place as long as the earth exists. One of those things is seed time and harvest. This means that as long as you plant a seed, there will always be harvest for as long as the earth exists. I'd like to also read from Galatians 6 verse 9, which reads as follows. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at a proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. This verse is also telling us that if we do not give up and we continue doing good, we continue sowing, we continue planting our seeds, we will reap if we do not give up. Now the trick is to not give up. Let us also be encouraged and know that whatever we plant today is a path or a bridge to our future. I remember my brother-in-law once said, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The other best time to do that is right now. So wherever you may be right now watching this, and you are thinking of planning your future and planting a seed, the best time to do that is now. There is no better time than now. God has promised you that for as long as the earth exists, there will be sowing and there will be reaping for as long as we do not give up in doing good. Let us give. Good morning. It is the first Sunday of the month. 
which means we get the privilege and honor of taking part in Holy Communion together, even though we are in separate locations right now. But we still have the privilege of taking part in Holy Communion. And today, I just want us to focus on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 16. And this is what it says. It says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers of the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And so as we are about to take part in Holy Communion today, I just want to point out four things that I see uh, when, I read, when I read this passage of Scripture. And the first one, is that when we partake of Holy Communion, we remember. We remember that we were once far from God, that we were once dead in our trans trespasses and our sins, that we were outsiders of the family of God, and that we could not do anything to save ourselves. This is the first thing that, that Paul starts with, is to remind us that at some point we were once actually far off. That's the first thing that we do is that we remember. And the second thing is that we celebrate what God has done for us through Christ Jesus. And we celebrate that God, through Christ Jesus, has brought us near to him. That he has given us access to him through the one and same Holy Spirit. That he has actually made us insiders. That he has made us family members and people who belong into his family. That's the second thing. The third thing is that we realize that God's plan has always been to have one united people and not two separate people. That's what Paul talks about in this passage as well. That we need to uh, realize and understand that unity in the body of Christ is not just a nice to have, but it is an essential ingredient without which the intended outcome will not be realized. It is so important and so central that we will not be able to get to where God wanted us to get to without unity in the body of Christ. And the other thing we need to realize is that this unity is not just within one local church, not just within one a local expression of the worldwide body of Christ, but this unity is of the worldwide body of believers all the believers in the entire world, Jesus wants us to all be united across denominations, geographical, racial, political, and even economic lines. 
we need to realize and to understand that the one thing that unites us is not the color of our skin. The one thing that unites us is actually the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be convinced that nothing under the sun is more important or is important enough to divide us. Nothing comes close to the importance of the, of the cross of Jesus Christ that unites us. And so nothing can divide us as the body of believers. That's the third thing. And the last thing that I see from this passage is that we endeavor to reach that perfect unity in the church. That we commit ourselves to working towards that same unity through forgiving those who trespass against us, through seeking the, the interests of others instead of seeking our own interests all the time. Those are some of the ways that we endeavor, that we work towards that same unity. And so, as we are about to take part now in Holy Communion today, let us remember who we were without God and let us celebrate what God has done for us through the cross and let us realize the centrality of the unity in the body of Christ. And lastly, let us endeavor to reach that same unity. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for what you have already done for us through the cross of Jesus Christ. That when you sacrificed your son, Lord God, that you made a way for us to have a relationship with you. You, have, you made a way for us who were far from you to be brought close to you. For us who were outsiders to be made insiders. And thank you so much, Lord God, that also what you did there was to unite us because we have access to you through the same body that was broken and the same blood that was shed through the same Holy Spirit that you have given us. You, you have made a way for us to be united as a worldwide body of believers. And we pray, Lord God, for that same unity, that it may be a reality uh, right now, Father God, on the earth, that you may use us to work towards that same unity. And we thank you so much, Father, for what you have done on the cross that has made a way for our sins to be forgiven, that has made a way for us to be saved. We pray, Father, that you may continue to do your work in us until we may be mature, until we may reach that place, Father God, that you want us to reach both as individuals and as your church. We pray, Father God, we praise your name, we honor you, we glorify you, we lift your name up now and forevermore. In Jesus Christ's mighty name, amen. Last week, Mr. Mohodi brought a very powerful and important teaching regarding biblical generosity. One of the things that I really liked about the teaching is that it was well balanced. So on the one hand, it was not encouraging us to all sell everything that we have and give to the poor and go and live in a monastery somewhere. But on the other hand, it was also not encouraging us to give so that we can receive, so that we can have more at the end than what we started with. So it was very well balanced. And if you missed it, I encourage you to go and find it, watch that sermon, and I think it will impact and benefit your life. And so this week I read an article, an article that was written about 10 years ago on the whole issue of global hunger and global poverty. And this is what caught my attention in the article. They say that hunger is caused by poverty and inequality, not scarcity. For the past two decades, the rate of global food production has increased faster than the rate of global population growth. 
The article went on to say that at, the, at that same time, the world was producing food that was enough to feed about 10 billion people, which is a population size that is estimated to be reached only by 2050. So this makes the case that, um, that hunger, the global hunger problem, is not caused by the fact that there is less food resources in the world. The, the global hunger problem is caused by the issues of inequality and inequity when it comes to the distribution of the world's resources. And I think the other part of the problem is simply human greed, you know, keeping more than what we need. And, and so that's one of the things that I'm going to be uh, looking at today. And so what I then did is just to ask myself a question, which is a question that forms the basis of my sermon for today. And the question is simply this. Does the Bible have an answer for the question of how to end global hunger? So the title of my sermon today is A Biblical Response to Global Hunger. And I believe it is clear when we read the scriptures that God actually cares about the poor. God cares about the issues uh, of poverty and even of inequality. Jesus himself even said this um, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 11. He said, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And this is a very interesting uh, statement that Jesus made regarding poverty and people that are hungry. And so um, just a little bit of context before we get into what is Jesus actually talking about here. So this took place in Bethany right after Jesus was anointed with a jar of very expensive perfume. Some of the disciples were disgruntled by this generosity and this generous act, and they asked why the perfume had not been sold and the proceeds given to the poor, which uh, sounds like a very spirit-sounding uh, concern, you know, that they had. Why can't we just sell the perfume and give the money to the poor? And Jesus responded to them and said, Leave the woman alone. She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. And so this begs the question, does this mean that poverty is not a serious issue to Jesus? Is it something that is secondary, that someone could do if they have extra time in their hands? Or that we shouldn't even bother ourselves with the poor because the poor will always be there. The problem of poverty will always be there. Is this what Jesus is talking about? And I think, in fact, uh, the Bible is saturated with commands for us to care for the poor. So it is clear the position of the Bible or the, or the position of God uh, from the Bible's perspective on this particular issue. But what was Jesus' point? What was he actually saying here? And I believe this was Jesus' point. That at that particular instant, at that moment, the right thing for the woman to do was to break the jar of that very expensive perfume and to anoint him instead of selling it and giving the, the proceeds to the poor. And the reason for that is this, that while there will always be opportunity to do something for the poor, the same could not be said about anointing Jesus' body for burial. Because this is what he says. He says, this woman has done this to, to anoint my body, to prepare my body for burial, which was something that was going to take place very shortly after that. And so the, the problem or the opportunity for the disciples to do something good for the poor was always going to be there. But the opportunity to anoint Jesus' body 
uh, for his burial was not always going to be there. So at that particular moment, at that time, the right thing for the woman to do was to break that, uh, that bottle of very expensive perfume and to pour all of it on Jesus' body to prepare him for burial. And it's important to also note that uh, what Jesus does here is that he quotes a scripture from the Old Testament. And that scripture would have been very familiar to his disciples and, and those that were sitting around him and listening to him uh, when he was saying that. And that verse actually comes from Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11. And this is where it says, There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I commend you to. And it's very interesting, I was just thinking, if this was your very first time hearing this command or reading this, uh, this verse from the Bible, and you found it maybe on the floor on a torn piece of paper with only this part visible or readable, or, or, yeah, readable to you, uh, what, how would you complete it? If this is the only thing that you saw on a piece of paper, how would you actually complete this command? You know? So therefore, you command us to do what? To leave the whole poverty issue alone. To stop wasting our time on things that will never change. You know, to rather focus our time and energy on other things. Things that have a prospect of changing. What are you commanding us to do? The verse continues. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I commend you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Something that is completely unexpected. There will always be poor people in the land. The problem of global poverty is a big problem. It is not going to be uh, solved right now. You know, it's going to take some time. It's going to take lots of resources. But, but it's interesting what God says. He says, therefore, I commend you to be generous. Therefore, I commend you to be open-handed. Therefore, I commend you to give and not to hoard, and not to hold, uh, to hold uh, resources from those that are needy, those that are poor and hungry. And so the biblical response to poverty and hunger is not to throw our hands in the air and say, you can't overcome poverty. It's a useless cause. Don't waste your money on it. Even Jesus said so. That is not the response. Rather, it is to roll up our sleeves and get involved in trying to solve the problems that keep poor people poor, that keep them in that, in that state of poverty and hunger. It is for us to get involved, to do something, to be open-handed, to be generous, to get in, in, on the side of the solution instead of just being spectators uh, in, this, in this matter. And so I believe we all need to get involved in, in helping to end global hunger. And even uh, John, if you read that, if you listen to that sermon from last week, he articula articulated so well when he said, if you still have a steady income right now, you, my friend, are rich. And so the command in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting from verse 17, which was directed to those who are rich in this present world, is actually directed to you as well. Because you, at this present moment, are actually rich. And so this is not to make you feel guilty in any way. But on the contrary, 
It is to make you feel responsible because you can do something to, to end, you know, the problem of, of poverty, to end the problem of global hunger. And so it is clear that Jesus was not telling his disciples to forget about poor people. He was just saying that at that particular moment, the right thing for the woman to do was to break the perfume and anoint him for his burial. But make no mistake, the biblical response to global hunger is open-handed living. It is generosity. It is for us to get involved and to give and to help those that are in need. And I found a very uh, interesting and maybe a little bit disturbing um, uh, thing that I've noted, that one can be a born-again believer, can be spirit-filled, can be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and still suffer from a scarcity mindset which cripples them from living generosity. You know, I'm not sure how that makes you feel, how that lands in your heart, but it is possible. I have met people that I believe, you know, they are believers. I believe they have given their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe they are the new creation that the scriptures tell us that they are. But at the same time, they are crippled with a scarcity mindset. They are crippled, you know, with a mindset that, that uh, prevents them from living generously. And, you know, uh, the... The scarcity mindset can be summed up to be a thinking or belief that there will never be enough. Have you met people that say, you know, if I give what I don't need today, what if I need it tomorrow? Have you met people that think like that? You know, that what's going to happen tomorrow when I need the thing? You know, if I lend this money to this person today, uh, what if they are not able to pay tomorrow and I need that money? That is part of uh, a scarcity mindset. That is part of a scarcity thinking that basically believes that there will never be enough. There are not enough resources to go around. There is not enough of everything to be able to go around and, and to benefit each and every person. And so the response to that, the, the resulting uh, lifestyle out of that is for the person to hoard as many resources as they can because tomorrow is not guaranteed. You know, to just increase their chances of survival and being happy tomorrow is to hoard off, is to, is to uh, live a lifestyle of being tight-fisted and to hold on to each and every piece of resources that comes through them, you know, that passes through them, to not give, you know, to not uh, be open-handed in any way. But, and I think that this actually is, is exhausting over a long period of time. Why? Because you end up um, becoming God unto yourself. You know, you end up becoming your own God. And that is exhausting. It produces worry. It produces anxiety. You're always asking yourself at the, at the back of your mind, do I have enough? How much is enough? If I give to this person, what if I am in need tomorrow? When will I ever be, uh, have enough resources to be able to live a comfortable life? And that ends up being very exhausting. And very, um, it, it produces those feelings of worry and anxiety. So you end up just collecting and hoarding for the sake of collecting and hoarding. And the good news is that the Bible has a cure to this mindset. It has a cure to the scarcity mindset. If you read Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 and 32, this is what Jesus himself says. It says, Therefore, do not worry. Don't say, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? People who are ungodly run after all these things. Your Father, who is in heaven, knows that you need them. 
Therefore, do not worry. You know, don't say, what will you eat? Or what will we drink? What will we wear? What's going to happen tomorrow? If I give this person this piece of bread, what if I'm hungry tomorrow? What am I going to eat tomorrow? Don't worry. Don't, don't obsess yourself with these kinds of questions. Because it is the people who are ungodly who run after those things. And it ends by saying, your father who is in heaven knows that you need them. And this, on the other hand, this uh, uh, kind of mindset that comes from, this, from these two verses is very liberating. You know, it is, it, it is freeing. It is a completely different lifestyle and mindset of living than the one that proceeds out of the scarcity mindset. And there's three very important things to note uh, in this uh, portion of Scripture, and I'll just run through them uh, quickly. The first one, it says that you have a Father in heaven. That's the first thing. It says, you have a father in heaven. And perhaps you have never known your earthly father. Or maybe your earthly father was not a good father by any means. You know? So that might uh, make it a bit difficult for you to fully appreciate what this means and what Jesus is talking about here. But what Jesus is saying is that you have a perfect father in heaven. Your heavenly father is good. Your heavenly father, you know, he loves you with an unconditional love. He delights in you. He is he's nothing like your earthly father. He's completely different. And even if your earthly father is a great father, your heavenly father is still so much better. That's the first thing that we need to know. If you're in relationship with God, that you actually have a father in heaven who loves you, who accepts you who approves of you, uh, who loves you unconditionally. And the second thing, he says, your heavenly father knows all you need. That's the second thing to note, is that your father who is in heaven, he knows everything that you need. And unlike your earthly father, your heavenly father has perfect memory. He will never forget anything about you. And he will never get too busy for you. He doesn't only know of your needs intellectually, but he is also able and ready to take care of you. You see, Paul was absolutely convinced of this same thing when he wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. When he wrote that response letter to the Philippians after they had um, given something to him that was going to meet his needs. He wrote this letter back to them. And in, in chapter 4, verse 19, he says, My God will meet all your needs. And he's so emphatic. He is so convinced. He says, my God will meet all your needs. He will meet them in keeping with his wonderful riches. These riches come to you because you belong to Christ Jesus. And so your heavenly father has wonderful riches. And this is the exact opposite of the scarcity mindset or the scarcity mentality. This is the abundant mindset that your heavenly father has wonderful riches and not few and finite resources. He has wonderful riches. Your heavenly father is rich. Your heavenly father, you know, has wonderful uh, riches. He has unlimited resources. So if you give to this person today and tomorrow you are in need, Paul says, it's okay. Don't panic. Breathe, you know, don't panic. But what if I lend my money to this person and they are not able to pay me back and I need this money tomorrow? He says, don't worry. 
And he says, your heavenly father will take care of all your needs. He says, rest, breathe, come down. Your heavenly father knows every need that you have, even before you ask him. And your heavenly father will meet each and every one of your needs. Because your heavenly father has wonderful riches. And he loves you. And he will take care of you. And the opposite of this is Christians living as if they are fatherless. And that's what I believe or I call the orphan spirit. And that is the spirit that drives you and I to take as much as we can. Because, well, tomorrow is not guaranteed. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? So I might as well take as much as I can. Might as well hoard as much as I can. You know, build bigger storage uh, places for me to store all my things. Because what hap- who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Tomorrow might be doomsday. You know, tomorrow is not guaranteed. That is an often kind of spirit. That is part of the scarcity mentality. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Who knows if God is even powerful enough to be able to take care of me? But the opposite of that is what Paul says. He says, your heavenly father has wonderful riches and he will take care of each and every one, of all of your needs. And your heavenly father says, there are a lot of poor and hungry people in the world right now. And the problem is so huge that it might not get solved within your lifetime. Therefore, I want you to be generous. I want you to give what I have given you. That is the response. That is the attitude that God, our Heavenly Father, wants us as his children to have when we, look at, when we are confronted by the problems in the world, especially problems of poverty and hunger and those kinds of things. He wants us to be generous. He wants us to give. He wants us to live open-handed. And let me say just two more things um, uh, about Paul's assurance that God would provide for the Philippians. And so the, the thing is he was unwavering in his conviction that God will and not may take care of all and not some of their needs. That was Paul's uh, belief. That was Paul's conviction. But the question is, how will God do this? How will God, you know, be able to provide for all of these people, all of their needs, you know, not some of them? And I think it is in the same way that God had provided for Paul's needs. How had he done it? God had used the Philippians to be able to provide for the needs of Paul. And so how was God going to provide for all of the needs of the Philippians? He was going to use other people to to provide for their needs when the time comes. You know, it is very interesting to note that God, way more often than not, actually uses people to answer people's prayers. I'm not sure if you have actually ever sat down and thought about that, that most of the time, God actually uses other people to answer the prayers of people. If you look at your life as well, look at your uh, prayer requests and things that you have asked from God, you will realize that he has used people to actually answer your prayers more often than not. Obviously, he can uh, perform miracles and do things you know, directly, but most of the time, he actually uses people. And so you, um, with what you have right now, may be an answer to someone's prayer. Think about that, because I think that is a possibility, that with what you have right now, you actually may be an answer to someone else's prayer. What does this mean? This means you and I 
must be generous and willing to share. Living with a hoarding kind of mentality actually robs you and I from being used by God to touch and change the lives of people. But on the other hand, living with an open-handed uh, open attitude actually positions you and I to be used by God to benefit others. The Philippians had been used by God to supply Paul's needs, all because they decided to live open-handed lives. Imagine right now what God would be able to achieve if we all decided to live like the Philippians. I think the world would look a whole lot different than it does now. And the second thing is that we need to be open to the possibility that God may answer our prayers through another human being or through other people. We need to be open to that. What does this mean? This means you and I must be good stewards of the relationships that God has given us, that we must value people, that we must treat people with dignity, that we must live at peace with others, that we must build up other people instead of tearing them down, that we mustn't be too proud, but that we must always humble ourselves. Think about this. Paul cultivated a relationship with the Philippians that made it easy for the Philippians to be used by God to provide for his needs. Have you ever met a person that has such a bad attitude that you lose all in interest of helping them out? I'm not sure I have. I'm not sure if you have. You know, there are some people that have such bad attitudes that it becomes even difficult for you to actually uh, help them. You know, you lose all interest. You lose all desire to help the person. We, you and I, must not become those people. Why? Because God often uses people to answer our prayers. Therefore, it says, as it concludes that previous verse that we read, therefore, you and I do not need to worry because God will take care of all of our needs. And I think sometimes the reason that we as believers are not as generous as we could be is because deep down we are still not fully convinced. You know, we still have some questions, we still have some concerns, we still have some objections to this whole thing. And I would like to just attack one object, uh, objection uh, and the hope is that you and I might be helped to overcome some of the stumbling blocks that are standing in our way towards living generously. And this is the objection. Have you ever uh, spoken to a person or have, have you ever been a person who thinks like this, that I worked so hard for this thing, there's no way I will give it away for free. You know, or the poor people are poor because they are lazy. Have you ever thought about that, uh, about this issue in those ways? That you have worked so hard, there's no way that you're just going to give uh, freely to another person who has not worked hard. Or on the flip side, to think and to believe and to be convinced that the poor are poor because they are lazy. Because you are successful because you are a, work, a hard-working person. And so that is the objection that I would just like uh, to, to look at quickly. And if this is you, or it was you at some point uh, in your life, or you know a person who thinks like this, I would like us to just be reminded of one very important element that is so easy for us to forget. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, God confronts the same thing in his people, in the nation of Israel. He says, um, be careful. You are going to go into a time where you are going to be blessed, where you are going to be prosperous, where you are going to be successful. 
make sure that you don't uh, that you don't forget God. Make sure that when you get to that place, you don't get to a place where you convince yourself that it is your might, it is your power, it is your strength, it is your intellect, it is your you know um, you are the one who has done all of that for yourself. And this is what he says, Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse eighteen. He says, when you get to that place of prosperity, when you get to that place of success, but remember the Lord your God. He gives you the ability to produce wealth. It is true that you are the one who has produced the wealth. It is true that you are the one who has worked hard. It is true that you are the one who has done all this hard work that has resulted in the success that you enjoy. But don't forget that it is God who gives you the ability to be able to produce wealth. It is God who gives you the ability to be able uh, to work hard. And it continues to say, that shows he stands by the terms of the covenant that he had made with you. He promised to your people, uh, of, uh, he promised to your people of long ago, and he is still faithful to his covenant today. That is what the writer was reminding them. He's saying, don't make the mistake when you are prosperous, when you are successful, when you are at the top. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you are the only person who has brought yourself to where you are. Always remember, you know, that it is God who, who has given you the very ability to work hard, to do the things that you have been able to do. And yes, you did work very hard. No one wants to take that away from you. You worked hard to get yourself to where you are today. But I would like to leave you with just these few questions as I draw towards my conclusion. Um, you did work hard, but who gave you that energy and strength to be able to work so hard? Who gave you that brilliant mind to be able to see what other people cannot see? Who gave you, you know, the parents who valued education and did everything they could to ensure you got into the best school they could afford? Who caused you to be born into the family that you were born into, the country that you were born in, and the period of time in history that you were born in? Who did these things? Who gave you a healthy body instead of one that is plagued with chronic illnesses, rendering you incapacitated to be able to work so hard as you did? You see, there are so many things that, that, um, that are outside of our control that, we, that have resulted in us being where we are more than the things that are within our control. What this basically means is that we cannot fully take credit for all the blessings in our lives. We can't take credit for hard work. It is true, and it's good to, to work hard, but we cannot take all the credit. We must always remember that it is God who is working behind the scenes, who has orchestrated the very environment that was conducive for your success. And as I conclude, I have just three steps that I think you and I can take right now, that we can take uh, to be able uh, to begin to live the kind of lives that God wants us to live. And the first one that we can take that I would like to challenge you to take is ask God to help you to live an open-handed life. That's the first one. Pray. Ask God to help you to live an open-handed life. Secondly, ask God to show you poor and hungry people. Ask him to bring you into situations where you will be confronted by people that are living in those very conditions. And then the third one is to challenge yourself to do something about what you see. Don't just see. Don't just uh, look, but challenge yourself to get involved. Challenge yourself to do something about it. Don't try to end the global hunger problem. 
Just try to end it for one person or one family or one community. Because the problem is so big, it can cripple us from even taking the first step. Forget about the, the entire world. Just focus on one person. Focus on one family and focus on one community. And I believe, you know, that, that God will be able to use you. God will, will move you from where you are to where he wants you to be. And he will use your attempts. He will use your resources to be able to make a big difference in someone's life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord. Thank you that you are our Father who is in heaven that you are completely different, that you are completely unique, that you are unlike any father that we have ever seen. Thank you that you love us unconditionally. Thank you that you provide for us, Father God. Thank you so much, Lord God, that, that you care about us, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much, Father, that we will never find ourselves in a, in a place where we are deserted, in a place where our needs are not cared for, because you are our Father who is in heaven, who cares about us. Thank you, Father God, for your teaching, Lord God. Thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, for each and every person who is listening. I pray, Father, that you may do your work in us, that you may transform us using your word and through the Holy Spirit, that you may transform us to be people that are open-handed, to be people that live lives that are generous, people that are ready to share, people that are willing to give, people that are willing to get involved in the lives of people that are willing to get involved in the in the problems that are plaguing the world right now to be part of the solution and not part of the problem pray father god uh, that you may continue to uh, work in us continue to speak into our lives father god continue to transform our, even our outlook our mindset how we see the world how we see you father god to to be transformed from a scarcity mentality to an abundance mentality because you father god are wonderfully rich we will never lack father because you are wonderfully rich help us to believe these things to the extent that we begin to practice them to live them out each and every day so that your name father god may be glorified so that those that interact with us may see you as a loving heavenly father may see you as a good god and may be interested to enter into a relationship with you i pray all this in jesus Christ's mighty name now and forevermore. Amen. We thank the Lord for such a powerful, encouraging, and life-changing message. I believe you have been blessed as much as I have been. The Word of God encourages us that we need to receive God's Word with gladness because it has the power to change our lives. And the Bible also encourages us that we need to put this word into practice so that we can become who God wants us to be. May you have a blessed, fruitful, and prosperous week ahead. And remember that God loves you. See you next time. <music>